This podcast is an unedited excerpt from an MCLE program presented at MCLE's Conference Center in Boston, Massachusetts. Get 24-7 instant access to over 400 estate planning and administration e-lectures and more with a subscription to the MCLE Online Pass. Learn more at www.mcle.org slash online pass. Please note that MCLE's products, services, and communications are offered solely as an aid to developing and maintaining professional competence. The statements in this recording may not apply to your circumstances, and no legal, tax, accounting, or other professional advice is being rendered by MCLE or its speakers. For full terms and conditions, please see the MCLE right. website. So, you want to terminate the trust. Uh, what are the steps you should take before you decide to go to court? One of the first things you should do is you look at the relationship that you have uh, and the trustee has with their beneficiaries. If everyone is on board and you've got a good trusting relationship between the trustee and the beneficiaries, uh, you can often accomplish terminating the trust without going to court. And so, the first thing you should do is read the trust. If you've got that good family dynamic, read the trust and see where the trust allows you to terminate uh, the trust. One of the first things you wanna do is you wanna to look to see whether it's revocable or not revocable, also known as irrevocable or irrevocable. Um, if the trust is revocable, we all know that uh, the trust, the set law, if they're alive, can terminate the trust. And the, Law for that is actually found in section 602 of the Uniform Trust Code. After the settler's death, uh, the revocability period has ended um, and now it's treated as any other uh, irrevocable trust. You also wanna look when a trust ends, and we're gonna talk about this at, at the end of the, pro, uh, the section I'm doing um, about the abilities of others to contest the validity of a revocable trust after the settler dies. Um, so section 602 says, unless the trust explicitly says uh, that it's irrevocable, the settler can amend or revoke the trust. And they can do it by clear, manifest, and convincing evidence of their intent. So a simple letter, I hereby revoke my trust, is all you need uh, in order to revoke a revocable trust. For irrevocable trusts, we're gonna look at the interplay between the Uniform Trust Code and the terms of the trust itself. Under the Uniform Trust Code, under Section 105B, the terms of the trust will control how you go about terminating the trust unless it's listed as one of the exceptions. And if we look at 105B, Four, it talks about the power of the court to modify or terminate a trust under sections 410 and 416. Does that mean that you can't write a provision in your trust that allows you to terminate? No, all that means is that you cannot prohibit the court from being able to terminate the trust by the terms of the trust. The trust itself can contain alternative means of terminating the trust. And that's sort of what 410 tells us, um, that the trust is gonna terminate if it's revoked or expires based on the terms of the trust or uh, no purpose of the trust remains. So you don't need all of these. The word or that I've highlighted 
uh, indicates that any one of those conditions is sufficient to be able to terminate a trust. So if your trust has explicit termination provisions, then the terms of your trust are going to control and you're going to want to read what the terms of the trust say about how to terminate the trust. Oftentimes, uh, there's a termination clause and it will specify uh, specific circumstances under which the trust will terminate and it will specify how to terminate the trust when those circumstances arise. Another way to have explicit termination provisions in the trust is to grant the power to somebody else for the power to terminate the trust. So it's not based on the conditions that arise that terminate the trust, it's based on the exercise of the power. And either that's done by the trustee and the trustee has the power in its power clauses, or it grants somebody else the power to terminate the trust. And that's often can be uh, called a trust protector. So if you've got trust protector language in the trust that you're looking at, read through their powers, see if they have the power to terminate. Those are explicit powers to terminate. Um, there are also implicit ways of terminating a trust, even though the trust doesn't have an explicit termination provision. And oftentimes, because I do a lot of work uh, with Medicaid trusts, I do not have an explicit trust termination clause because after the Doherty case, Massachusetts MassHealth would just you know, light up as soon as they saw a termination clause. It was like putting a red flag before a bull. And so uh, they would get all excited and they would reject your trust because they thought that that termination clause, any termination clause was gonna be under the Doherty case. Um, that's not true, um, but why give them uh, the ability to fight that? So I don't have to use an explicit termination clause if implicitly I can get my trust to terminate. And implicitly, uh, there's ways of doing that. One of the ways that I achieve that goal is I give the trustee the unlimited power to make distributions of all of the trust property. So because I can distribute out all of the trust property, um, I can, in effect, terminate the trust by having that trustee exercise that power. Um, another implicit way I exercise the power is I have the trustee have unlimited discretion in being able to make distributions. So by using their discretion, they can then terminate the trust by making a distribution that distributes all of the trust property under their unlimited discretionary authority. So those are the ways that we can terminate a trust based on the language of the trust. So the very first step you should always do is read the trust thoroughly to see whether you have the power to go and terminate the trust without having to go to court, assuming that you have the right family dynamics uh, and the right relationship between the trustee and the beneficiary. If you find, having read through this, that you do not have um, the authority under the trust, there are some trusts that are written very strictly out there. Um, I knew of a colleague who provided that the trust principle stayed in trust uh, for the duration of the trust, there was no way to terminate the trust. Um, it did not allow for uh, principal distribution and only allowed for income distribution. Um, and there was no way to get out of that trust. The trust was what the trust was. So how can we do it when the trust terms don't allow us to? We can 
turn to a non-judicial settlement agreement. Again, this is only going to be appropriate in situations where we have um, a good family relationship and good relationships between the beneficiary and the trustees where everyone can get along. And under Massachusetts Uniform Trust Code, which is found in Chapter 203E, uh, you can um, enter into, under Section 111, you can enter into a non-judicial settlement agreement. Now, this is not allowing us to do anything we want to. Um, it has to be uh, done uh, within the four corners of the purpose of the trust. Um, and it can only be done under circumstances where a court could have the authority to terminate the trust, but uh, you're choosing not to go to court. So a couple of examples where you can go in with a judicial settlement agreement to modify the terms of the trust are to allow for the approval of the trustee's report and accounting. And we're going to talk a little bit about how when you do a termination, uh, how you handle the trustee's accounting in order to discharge the trustee's uh, liability. And then you also can give the trustee a power that's necessary or desirable. Here, in this case, we would do a non-judicial settlement agreement to grant the trustee the power to terminate the trust. And, and having granted that power, the trustee can then go back and exercise the power and terminate the trust uh, and then prepare their accountings. Um, what I like about the non-judicial settlement agreement is that it gives us a belts and suspenders approach under E, any party can go to court and have that non-judicial settlement agreement uh, rubber, you know, blessed by the court so that there's no question that it was a permissible transaction uh, in order to get the trustee to have uh, the protection from their liability. So that is how we can terminate the trust uh, without having to go to court. But we don't want to do things that are going to cause problems for our clients, and typically that client is the trustee of the trust. So what we want to do in the process of terminating these trusts is we want to get the protection that we need to protect our clients against future liabilities. And so there's several classes of, ben of liabilities. Um, we have claims of beneficiaries. We have claims of creditors, and we have claims of third parties that dealt with the trust. So we're first going to talk about what the claims of the beneficiaries are and how do we get protection for our client trustees against the claims of beneficiaries. And as you can see, there's a huge list of uh, responsibilities that a trustee has uh, towards their beneficiaries, and we need to get a sign-off of those beneficiaries for each and every one of them. Um, Again, this is Massachusetts Uniform Trust Law. It can be modified to the extent allowed under Section 105B, um, but we want to pay attention to it because if it's not modified, uh, these are the rules that apply. And that is the trustee has a duty to administer the trust according to its terms. So the trustee can't go out willy-nilly. That's why you might need a judicial settlement agreement to modify the terms of the trust to grant authority to the trustee if they don't have the authority in the trust itself. There's also a duty of loyalty. Uh, the trustee cannot uh, put their own interest above the interest of the trust. They have a duty of impartiality. They can't 
treat one trust beneficiary better than another trust beneficiary, absent a provision in the trust that allows us to do that. Um, they need to be prudent with the administration of the trust. We need to be reasonable with the costs incurred by the trust. We need, we've got special skills. We need to use them and we need to use them appropriately. Uh, we need to use care. If we're going to delegate any tasks that we're not skilled at, uh, we need to be care in selecting who we delegate to. We need to protect the trust property um, and we need to uh, keep good records and keep the property separate from the trustee's property. Uh, we need to enforce claims and defend claims unless we have a provision. Otherwise, by the way, that provision means that if uh, a prior fiduciary, either the personal representative, if there was assets contributed to the trust, or a prior trustee, uh, if they've acted inappropriately, there is an affirmative duty uh, to go after those fiduciaries unless your trust has a provision that gets them out of that responsibility. Uh, they have a duty to collect the trust property and to seek redress. And then the last one is this duty to inform and report. And I have an asterisk next to it because uh, this is the one that I really wanna focus on because this actually is both a obligation and a shield. Uh, this is what's gonna shield your clients from liability. If you prepare accountings, which is your duty to report, uh, and you'll get your beneficiaries to uh, receive them, a lot of trusts will have terms that say, if your beneficiary has received an accounting and has failed to object to that accounting within 60 days, then uh, it's deemed to be an assent by them. Uh, so we wanna make sure that we continue to utilize uh, those accountings to protect, to 